Well, it's good to be back with you this morning. Um, appreciate the opportunity to come and share with you again. And um, we are um, going to be looking at Joshua this morning, Joshua chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, you might want to turn there. Um, as I uh, suggested last Sunday, um, you're in transition. We're always in transition of some kind, but right now you are in transition and you're on a journey. Now, um, I'm kind of in the middle of a transition and a journey myself. Uh, Trudy, my wife, is here with me this morning and she is going to retire in two weeks. And she's, uh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> she has worked our entire married life and through all of our pastorates, she's always worked and, uh, and she is, is really excited about not doing that. And uh, <laughs> she's been at Hope Christian for 24 and a half years and uh, it's been a blessing, but it's time for her to be home. The other part of that in that transition in our life is that we're going to be on a journey because this will be the first time in September uh, since she isn't working that we can take three full weeks and drive all the way to Raleigh, North Carolina and visit our, our grand, youngest granddaughter who will be four in September. Uh, so we're taking three weeks. We're driving out there. We've never been able to do that before spend time and then come back. So, uh, so we're in transition and we're on a journey. And I'm really looking forward to going out there and maybe playing some golf where there's lots of trees and grass and, and maybe fish where there's water that you don't have to drive so far to. Now, I grew up in Albuquerque. I mean, I, I know New Mexico, how it is. But, uh, you know, I just, I'm looking forward to some of those, those things in transition. And uh, as, as we're going to look at this passage this morning, I want, want to really encourage you that even though you're in transition and you are on this journey, this is not a bad thing. We can look at it as something, oh my gosh, we have to go through this. We, uh, woe is, you know, uh, God is doing a work. And he's going to continue to work. And, and you, you are in this together. God has brought you together by his sovereign will and grace. Uh, from all different backgrounds, cultures, all kinds of things. And there's a reason you're here, but you're here together. And when you are together like this, you go through transitions together. And you are on a journey together. Uh, Stu Weber wrote a book uh, many years ago called All the King's Men, and, and he was in the Army Rangers, and he, he, he talks about how one morning they got up and they were supposed to do their, their physical training, their, their run, and, and the, the sergeant came in and he said, listen, I want you in full gear. I want, I want backpacks, helmets, uh, your, your uh, rifles. I want everything that you need uh, to go, and we're going to go out and we're going to run uh, like all day. And it was a hot, dusty, just lousy day. And, and he said, so they all got in formation and they took off. And before they left, he told them this. He said, you're going to go out together and you're going to come back together. And if you don't come back together, don't come back at all. 
And so they took off on this run and, and they were doing pretty well. And he said he looked ahead a couple rows after about an hour and a half of running. And there was a great big guy, kind of a Swedish guy. And, and he said he was starting to falter. And you could see he was starting to get out of step. And so he was getting concerned because he thought this guy is not going to make it. Well, all of a sudden, the guy on his right reached over and took his rifle from him, and he carried it and ran. And that, that helped this big guy get a little bit more energy and relieve some of the burden. He said then a little bit when he started to falter again, another guy on the left reached over and took the guy's helmet off and carried it for him because it, was, it seemed to be causing him problems. And they continued to run, and finally he started really struggling. And two guys right behind him in the row behind him reached over, and each one of them grabbed the straps of his pack and they carried it between themselves and they all went together they ran together and they came back together and when we are serving Christ as a body of Christ as fellow believers in Christ and we are on that run we have to be sensitive to those around us because God wants us all to move forward together. He wants us to run together. He wants us to help each other through a transition, through that journey, and he wants us all to come back together. And so this morning in, in Joshua, I'm going to talk to you about principles for the journey. And it's a familiar story uh, about how God led Joshua, who, by the way, did not uh, put in a resume to try and get this job. <laughs> you know, it, it was appointed to him. And uh, have you ever been there? <laughs> you, you know, they're looking for somebody to do something and, and you, you, you didn't say a thing. And they say step forward and everybody else stepped backward and you were standing there and it didn't turn out well for you. Yeah, so, you know, you have, to, you have to be ready for that. So I'm going to talk to you about principles for the journey. But before I do, I want to give you some absolute biblical truths that apply in all of our lives and through every transition and through every journey. And I'm going to read these few truths. And then at the end of it, I'm going to give you a real short synopsis of it or a little statement. Instead of you trying to write down everything I just said, I'll just give you a little three, four word statement that you can, can put down. These absolute truths. Number one, God is at work and will continue to work in the world until the predetermined time for Christ to return. That's an absolute truth from Scripture. Uh, short version, God's still working. Never, never get the idea that maybe God has abandoned you or abandoned us. And, and maybe God isn't doing what we'd like him to be doing. He is working. He just doesn't always work the way we like him to work. The second truth is this, that God works through his word, his people, and his church to accomplish his will by the power of the Holy Spirit. Short version is God works through us. He works through you if we're submissive to his will and purpose and we surrender to what God wants to do. The third truth is this. God works in his way and his time to accomplish his purpose. Short version, God's going to get his purpose done. Number four, God's work by its very nature causes change in leadership, calling, and scope. The short version, God stirs things up. <laughs> yeah. 
That's, you know, it's not in the, that, that actually isn't scriptural, but it's a reality, right? I mean, sometimes everything's going good and everything's happy in your life and then it seems like God just goes, you know, the water's way too clear. Let's, let's just reach down and give a little stir and see what rises to the surface. We all hate when he does that. Number five, God's work will almost always move you out of your comfort zone and into a time of renewed sacrifice and commitment. God's work requires change. God doesn't just let us stay where we're at and get comfortable and apathetic about what he's called us to do. God challenges us. And when he does, he moves us outside our comfort zone. Rick Warren said in one of his books many years ago, he said, if you're not walking on the edge, you're taking up too much space. And God likes to keep us right on the edge. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. And sometimes you feel like you're starting to teeter over the edge, but God will never let you fall. But he will take you to the edge. James Draper in his book, Bridges to the Future, said this, we cannot decide whether God's kingdom will grow. We can only decide whether it will, we will be the agents of the kingdom growth. A church can choose to be involved in kingdom growth or it can decide to be noncommittal. Regardless, fact number one cannot be contradicted. The kingdom of God is growing. The question you need to answer is, what is happening in my life and my church? Is God's kingdom expanding by what we're doing? That's an evaluation question, and we don't like evaluations any more than anybody else unless we're the one giving the evaluation. But we have to look at those things. So here in Joshua, we're, we're looking at a people uh, who had been, as the King James terms it, a stiff-necked people. It's still an applicable term for God's people today. We are a stiff-necked people at times. And here they were about to enter into the promised land. Moses uh, had died and God had hidden his body. And God tells Joshua, Joshua... You are going to lead my people. Now, it's interesting. We don't see Joshua doing what Moses did. Joshua didn't say, but Lord, I can't do that. I'm not eloquent. I can't speak. I can't do it. He just said, Lord, if, if that, okay, I'm going to do what you've called me to do. So in Joshua chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, if you want to follow with me in, in the scripture here. It says this, Joshua chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to your forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. 
So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you will come across, you will cross the Jordan here and go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites and Gadites and half the tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Joseph, the servant of the Lord, gave you? The Lord your God is giving you rest and has granted you this land. Your wives, your children, your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. But all your fighting men, fully armed, must cross ahead of your brothers. You are to help your brothers until the Lord gives them rest as he has done for you and until they too have taken possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them after that. You may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan toward the sunrise. Then they answered Joshua, Whatever you command us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey your words, uh, whatever you may command them will be put to death. Be strong. And courageous. I'm glad that we don't apply that last little part of obedience because we would have a much smaller congregation in our churches than we have today. So there's transition taking place for the Israelites. Now, they had spent a long time out in the wilderness and trying to survive and with ups and downs and all kinds of things happening. But now it's time to enter the promised land. Joshua was going to lead them to really occupy that which God had already given them. And I, I really think that as we look at a church that is on a journey and in transition, that we need to see our community that way. God's given this community to you, and God wants you to embrace this community. And there's some principles that we need to understand to help us to do that. So the first principle is this. As spiritual leaders, we have a, a great responsibility. There's a responsibility that we have to embrace what God has called us to do in our community, in our Judea, and around the world, specifically in our community because this is where you live and where you live is where you have your greatest impact in touching lives for Christ where you live is where people see you daily it's where people see how you react to things how you engage things how you how you handle things in community it's important to recognize that you are the light in a dark world and that your community needs to be your first point of contact he tells Joshua listen be strong and courageous because you will lead these people now understand that each one of you are leaders by reason of the fact that you have surrendered your life to Christ, you acknowledged your sin, you repented of your sin, you asked for Jesus to come into your heart and life and to forgive you of your sin, believing he died on the cross and rose from the grave, overcoming sin and death, you asked forgiveness, he forgave you, he gave you eternal life, and he said that you are now a new creation. In Christ, you, by reason of the fact that you are a child of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, you are a leader. 
So I want to look, I want you to look at the person next to, to you and say, you are a leader. Right now, just tell them, you're a leader. <laughs> There's a little hesitation. <laughs> I'm not sure I understand that. Now, just look up here. I want you to say, I am a leader. I am a leader. You are a leader. God is gifted. He didn't ask you to be after you came to Christ. By your reason of coming to Christ, you're a leader. And, and so take responsibility of that leadership. And don't get in the way of what God wants to do in you and through you. Embrace that. Take that responsibility. That's exactly what Joshua did. He, he, didn't, he didn't ask for this job, but it was his job. And that's God's expectation of you. God didn't ask him. He appointed him, and you have been appointed to be a leader in the body of Christ and to be in the, in the kingdom of God. It's important to note that everything that is done in a church, training, teaching, leading, growing, reaching, everything is to be formatted so that if any leader, is, is something happens where they cannot do their leadership or they cannot serve, there should always be somebody ready to step in and, and engage that and take that responsibility. It's not like, well, that's their job and I can't do it. No, we are all leaders. We're all part of the body of Christ. We all have certain responsibilities that we need to embrace. A couple of things here. Leadership must understand their responsibility to serve God and his people. What does it mean to be a leader? What does God want you to be leading in? Maybe it's a prayer ministry. Maybe it's in children's ministry. Maybe it's in, in youth ministry, adult ministry. There's ministry out there. There's missions out there. There's tons of opportunity. We must understand what God has called us to do, how he has gifted us to do it, where our passion is, and then jump into it. If you wait till you get all the training you think you need to do what God's called you to do, you'll never get anything done. Because part of the training is the walk of faith. And faith is saying, Lord, I don't know a, a bit about what I'm supposed to do here, but I am committed to do it with your guidance and your help. Joshua let God lead him. Secondly, biblical leadership is not defined by power or position. It's not a power issue. It's, it's not a positional thing. It's a servant thing. It's at the foot of the cross. It's being the slave of Christ and letting God guide and direct you in what you're supposed to be doing. Joshua had to be true to God's word. He had to be true to stay within God's will and follow his guidance. Leadership seeks also to see what God sees and seeks what God seeks and strives for what God strives for. And when we are in alignment with what God is doing, what the Holy Spirit is leading us to do, that's when we are true leaders. Now notice in this passage, there's, there's three B's. B-E's. Be strong and courageous. Then he emphasizes that. He says, be strong and very courageous. And then he tells us to be careful to obey. You know, obedience is one of those great challenges in our life. Uh, Lord, I want to be obedient, and I pray about being obedient, and then we are very much like the Apostle Paul who said, I don't do the things I should do, and I do the things I shouldn't be doing, and it's a constant struggle. The struggle is okay because we still have the fight with the flesh. The outcome is what we're looking for. 
recognizing that this is my fleshly battle. This is my daily struggle. I, I don't want to do my thing. I want to do God's thing. I want to be surrendered to him. Like John the Baptist said, uh, he needs to increase. I need to decrease. And, and so as we look at this, we understand we need to be strong and courageous. We need to fight the battles. We need to be bold, but we also need to be very careful to be obedient to the Lord. And then he gives us four do not. He says, do not turn from the law. Do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Do not be terrified and do not be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. And then notice what he says. We, we had it in the song, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. There's no fear in love. There's no reason to be terrified. If God's God and he's in control and he's called you to do what you're going to do, listen, he's going to be right there with you. He's going to be preparing the way. Every challenge you face, the Spirit of God is going to help you overcome it. And through that overcoming every single challenge, you're going to grow in your faith and grow in your dependence upon him and grow in obedience to him. And you're going to see great things happen in your life. Second thing we see in verses 7 through 9 is that as spiritual leaders, we are accountable. So it says this, be strong and very courageous. Obey the law. Do not turn to the right or to the left so you will be successful wherever you go. There is accountability. We've got to have accountability in our life as leaders. We have to have accountability in our life as a body of Christ. It's just not a free flow thing where everybody does their own thing. No, we have to be responsible and accountable. We have to stand before God one day and say, Lord, all that you entrusted unto me, this is what I've done with that. This is how I've represented you. This is how I've related to others. This is how I've sought to grow to maturity and help others grow to maturity. The implication is that if you do the opposite, you won't be successful. We need that accountability with one another. We need it with the Lord. In Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40, Jesus was asked by an expert of the law, a teacher, which is the great commandment in the law. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. When you're doing that and you are in obedience to God's will, God is going to honor that and bless that, and you are going to win the battles that you have to face. Our relationship with God and our relationship with one another are, make, are what help us be successful. And we're not talking worldly success. We're talking the kind of success that when we walk into the presence of God, we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We will never hear, well done, good and sinless servant. That's not the goal, right? <laughs> the goal is faithfulness. We're never going to do it all right. But we need one another to encourage one another, strengthen one another. All those one another passages in Scripture are there to help us be the leaders we need to be and fulfill the calling that we have and to go through the journey together and make the transition as smooth as possible to what God ultimately has planned for you. And that, that really should be our heart's goal. And no matter what has happened in the past or what disappointments we've had, those cannot define how we move forward in the future, Lou Holtz took the Fighting Irish to the Cotton Bowl in 1987 against Texas A&M. 
Notre Dame was favored to win. Instead, they lost 35 to 10. That's a bad loss. It was devastating. That night, Rick Rosenthal, the athletic director for Notre Dame, sat with Lou Holtz. He said Lou expressed regrets about the Cotton Bowl loss. It was a one-sentence comment. Then for the next half hour, he talked about what the team would need to do to get better next year. And the very next morning, things began to change. So yeah, he grieved the loss, but he only grieved it for a moment because there was a future ahead of him and he started planning for the future. What do we need to do to be different next year so that when we come to this point, we can win? Too often, if we just looked at the past and all the junk that's happened back there, we can get hung up. Look to the future. Spiritual leaders are accountable. We have to be responsible. We have to be accountable. Number three, as spiritual leaders, we must lead with confidence. In Joshua, we see three principles of spiritual leadership in this passage. Uh, there is organization. It says that he gathered the officers of the people and he brought them together, the leadership together. And he said it was not a, it says it's not a spontaneous movement, but a planned attack. In other words, there was a strategy to what they needed to do in order to cross the Jordan River and to take the land that God had given them. The people needed to be ready, and there was a purpose. And the purpose was that you will cross the Jordan here and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. Uh, so there, there's a sense of organization. There's a sense of preparation. There's a sense of purpose. There still needs to be that in our ministries and in our spiritual lives today. We need to have some sense of organization Somebody says, I don't, I don't like organized church. And I, I told him, I said, well, you wouldn't like unorganized church either. It's very chaotic. It's very confusing. <laughs> I'm not sure what that means, organized church. <laughs> you wouldn't like the opposite <laughs> any better than you like, like organized. Um, but, but we have to have those things. There has to be some organization. We have to be prepared prayerfully, spiritually. Uh, there has to be a strategy and the overall purpose is accomplishing or, or reaching the vision that God has given this church in this place and this time. And generally the visions don't change. How that vision is accomplished sometimes is what changed. And if you look at vision statements around the country or churches, they're very similar in wordage. But how they carry out that, that vision in their own context can be a little bit different. Number four, as spiritual leaders, we must challenge others. Now look at, at, at verses 12 through 15. I love this part of uh, their going into the promised land to take that. But the Reubenites and the Gadites and half the tribe of Manasseh had been promised by Moses that they would have a certain section of land that was on the east side of the Jordan. And, uh, and they could have, I suppose, just gone to their part of the land. They didn't have to fight for it. There wasn't going to be a battle for it. And they could have set up their, uh, their houses and their families and everything would have been just fine. And just waited for the rest of Israel to go in and take the rest of the land and fight all the battles. But Joshua said no. He said your, your, your families, your, your, your wives, your children, your livestock, that can all go and, and they can set up house. But the fighting men 
need to come alongside the rest of the Israelite fighting men. And you need to fight this battle together. Every spiritual battle that we face is not a spiritual battle generally that we should be fighting by ourselves. Even in your own personal life, the whole idea of having fellowship with one another and coming together as a body of Christ is to have others around you to help you face those spiritual battles that you need to face in life. The body of Christ itself, when it's going through challenges and struggles and battles, need to come together. Everybody's a part. It's not like we can separate ourselves out. We're all part of one body of Christ. And we need to be there to encourage and strengthen one another and walk through those battles together. When the battle's over, he said, then you can go back to your families. But we're all Israelites. And all the fighting men need to be fighting together in order for us to take the land and fulfill the purpose that God has for you. It's a great passage. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 30, he said, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. One of the things that we struggle with sometimes in the church is that we, we don't have everybody in, in alignment with Christ, and, and, and we don't have everybody gathering together and those that aren't gathering can be scattering we have to be with Christ we have to hear him we have to be obedient to him Joshua challenged them to get involved and to keep going later Joshua would stand before the Israelites in Joshua 24 verse 15 and challenge them again this is what he said now this is after basically the the land had been taken Joshua was old. He knew he wasn't going to be around much longer. But in Joshua 24, it says this, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your forefathers, that your forefathers worship beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods that your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Basically, the question is, who are you going to serve? Now, we don't, we don't necessarily have idols set up around it that we're worshiping and, and other culture gods that we're worshiping. But there's a whole lot of other things that we worship. That get in the way of our being obedient and committed to Christ. This is a defining time for Hoffentown. And the decisions and the commitments and the sacrifices you make today are going to, to result in where this church will be in five or ten years. And the question you have to ask is, who are you going to serve? You're going to serve Christ. You're going to, you know, surrender to him and his will and his purpose. Come together and you're going to fight this battle and you're going to make this transition and you're going to get on the journey together. You're going to go out together. You're going to battle together, run together, and you're all going to come back together as a body. The principle is not sit back and watch, but step forward and lead. Do what God has called you to do. Now, in verse 16, we find an unwavering commitment. 
And here's, here's what's interesting, and I'll tie this back into chapter 24 here in just a moment. But in verse 16, it says, whatever you command, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. Uh, that's, a, that's a great commitment. And then they say, as we obeyed Moses, we will obey you. Now, if you think about it, and you look back at how well they obeyed Moses, but remember, most of those that rebelled against Moses didn't get into the promised land, right? That's why they were in the wilderness for 40 years. The ones who made it were the ones that were committed and obedient to the Lord. And so they say, how we obeyed Moses we will obey you. Now in Joshua chapter 24, after he makes this, this uh, really challenge to them, choose today, after that it says, oh, we want to obey you. We want to be obedient to you. And Joshua says, well, you can't be. Now, you know, a good evangelist right there at that point would say, you know, if you have to make a commitment here, it's time to choose. And they go, oh, man, we're going to choose Choose the Lord. Uh, he, we would all come down and we'd celebrate at the altar. You know, oh God, everybody made a commitment. But Joshua knew them. He says, you can't do it because it requires sacrifice. You have to be accountable. You're not there yet. And then they came back a second time and said, no, 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 no. We are saying we will be, we will be obedient to the Lord. He didn't let them get away with a superficial commitment. And he said, you will be accountable for your remarks. Your commitment today is being recorded by God, and you will be accountable for it. Have you ever made some kind of a commitment to the Lord and then didn't follow through with that? You don't have to, you don't have to do this because I know we all have, right? We know we have. We have to make that unwavering commitment. We are part of the body of Christ. We are part of the family of God. And for us to fulfill the purpose that God has called us to, that he's called you to, there's a principle that I, I like to share that I think is really important, and that is that we must love Jesus more than we love what we must love what Jesus loves more than we love what we love. We must love what Jesus loves more than we love what we love. Because when we love what Jesus loves, it means that we look out upon the, the, the world around us and we see people who are lost and without hope in the world. We're willing to make those commitments and sacrifices to go out and engage them and reach them for the kingdom of God. It means that, that our priorities are not as important as his priorities. It means that, that when, when he's called us to do something, we lay down our nets and we do what he's called us to do. That's what Joshua had to do with the people of Israel. He had to lead them to that point of commitment and service in order to be obedient. They needed to be accountable. They needed to be responsible. They needed to be obedient to the Lord. That's how Israel was able to go into the promised land and take what God had already given them. And they had to do it together. They were in transition. They were on a journey. Years ago, Billy Hanks, a discipleship movement, and some of you may have gone through some of the Billy Hanks stuff back in the 70s and 80s. He talked about going to an African-American church down in New Orleans. And he was asked to speak. He said he went into this really large church, 
And when he went in, they, they very much respect pastors and, and elders. And so he, he was brought up to the very top of the, the platform up here. And, you know, they have the big chairs and, and they sit in those big chairs. And the congregation was coming in. And as the congregation was coming in, he was sitting up here kind of observing. And he said the pastor of the church went down to the piano and he began to play a tune. And as he began to play this tune, things started quieting down a little bit. And when they quieted down some, the, the pastor started singing, yes, Lord, yes. And he kept playing and kept singing that tune and those words until the entire congregation was singing it together. And then he stopped and it got quiet. And Billy Hanks said the pastor walked up to the podium and he bowed his head and he said, Lord, you've heard our answer. Now tell us what to do. You know, that's really where we need to be. Instead of asking God, Lord, tell me what you want me to do, and I'll tell you whether I'll commit to it. Because that's what we do. Let's be honest. We want to know all the hurdles and struggles and challenges first. And many times we want to know the answer long before we're ready to receive it. When God is saying, listen, is all I want to hear from you is yes, Lord, yes. You've heard my answer. Tell me what to do. And God will work powerfully through that. And you will take the land that God has called you to take. And you will reach the people that you need to reach. So three things as I close now. Number one, if you do not know that if you were to die today that you would be in the kingdom of God through faith in Christ, then you need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ this morning. Say yes to Jesus because he's there. He died on the cross for your sin. He loved you so much that he willingly went and paid a price for sin that you could never pay yourself. And he paid that price on the cross and through the resurrection. And, and he's, he calls us to come to him in faith, believing that what he did was sufficient to pay the price for your sin. And when you pray and confess your sin and turn from it in your heart and say, Lord, forgive me and give me everlasting life. You know what? He will do that. And he will make you a brand new creation. You will be part of the family of God. And you will live with a peace that passes understanding that the world cannot give you and a joy that can never be compared to anything else in your life and a hope that only comes through Christ. Secondly, will you say yes to be united with the body of Christ? You're all part of this transition. You're all part of the journey. And it's a tough journey. It's a long journey maybe. There's going to be some struggles with it. Some of you are going to falter. But if you say yes to unity, that means that you're going to run out together. And when someone's struggling, you're going to take that pack off their back. And you're going to help them continue on the journey and run through. So that when you get to the end, you know that you've done this as a unified body. Only the Holy Spirit can really move you to do that. But I pray that you will say yes to that. And finally... Will you say yes to surrendering what God's will is for you and for his church? 
long before he lays out any details or gives you all the answers you're looking for, will you just simply say, yes, Lord, yes. You've heard my answer. You've heard us answer. Now just tell us what to do. You know what? When you do that, it takes away all the questions, all the objections, all the other stuff that we bring into our prayer life when seeking God's will. When you say yes up front, it means that it's a clean slate. And it's all you have to do is wait for God to start revealing what he wants to do through you. Principles for the journey. Let God lead you. Let God be glorified in it. Surrender to it. And let God accomplish his perfect will in your life.